Hello, and welcome to our Sweet 16 episode of the Queen Bee Book Club podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Cher. And we are the Queen Bees. And today we're continuing our discussion on Helter Skelter. You guys might be able to tell I'm recovering from illness. (laughs) Um, I have been sick for the past four, this is my fourth day of being sick, but As Olivia said, I would definitely be one of the people who would have survived the Oregon Trail. Oh, good. Because Brennan is still sick and has been sick for nine days, and I'm pretty much better, and it's been only 3.5. That's pretty good. So he would be dead, and I would be (laughs) still eating him, probably. The Oregon Trail, it still kind of haunts me that I've never gotten to, to Oregon in that game. So, okay, did you have the one that was, like, the strip at the top of the computer, or did you have the more advanced game? I think I had the more advanced game. Okay. I had, well, Olivia had the strip one that we would play at her house, which it's the most boring game. Like, (laughs) I mean, we loved it, but, like, basically you would just watch your little cart go, and then a thing would come up and be like, oh, no, you got bit by a snake. Like, what should you do? Rest? Like, or, like, keep going. And it's, like, pretty much there's no way to win. It's, no. like, if you rest, you're attacked by robbers. <laughs> and, if, and if you keep going, you die because right. you get an infection. Yeah. I know. I mean, like, lesson learned. It was probably very difficult. I know. In which air to reach um, Oregon. But I sort of also think it's, like, maybe that was a good like, kind of exposure for us to get of, like, life isn't always fair, kids. Like, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you just you're going to have to wade through a river, and <laughs> your horses are going to die. Your horses are going to die. You're going to lose all your supplies, and, like, the only choice you have is to put salt in your wound and keep <laughs> running. <laughs> so, Jesus. anyway, the Oregon Trial. It was tough. It was. It was a good game, though. I loved I it. I enjoyed it. I was determined <laughs> to reach the end, and I never did. I had... Later, a couple of years later, I had the more advanced game where you could, like, go shopping in the general mm-hmm. store. and like, Okay, you had that one. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That one was fun. But then you would get hit by starvation because you never had enough money to buy all the supplies that you needed. Yeah, you had to be very strategic. And I think, like, probably you were like, well, I should probably stock up on weapons. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> you know, like, nobody really wants to buy grain. Yeah. Well, I like, and how much food do you need? I don't that know. a question. And I, did you get to pick who you would go with? Like, did you I get to pick remember. your party? I feel like you got to pick members of your party. Because I... <laughs> I Limited <don't> children. <laughs> no children, mostly women, because we're tougher. Mm-hmm. Especially, we know how to ration. Like, I mean, like, show... Get yourself a man with a cold and a woman with a cold. Like, who's at work? Me. Right. Right. Yeah. I will say, though, like, this flu has been bad. And I felt kind of guilty because, so, okay, so Brendan tells me I'm, like, a really not sympathetic wife whenever he gets (laughs) sick, which is true. But, like, part of it is, like, as I told you, like, my strategy is, like, the first two days I'll be really nice to you, but I don't want to lure you into this, like, false sense of security that, like, this is what your life would be like. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to... Isn't it nice to be sick? Yeah, I don't want that to happen. And so I sort of am like, well, I'm not going to be nice, and then that's an incentive for you to get better. Right. So, um, but then I got really sick, and I was like, shoot, like, this is much worse than I thought. Like, I'm sorry I didn't take (laughs) care of you better because, like, you deserved a little bit more from me. But, like, 
the other thing was was that he didn't really do a good job taking good care of himself. And so okay. why should I have to take care of him? Like, <laughs> I wake up. It's, like, day three of his illness. So, like, in the thick of it. And I wake up and the, like, spot in the bed is, like, empty. He's gone. Who knows where. And I get up and I'm, like, looking. I'm, like, oh, no, he's probably, like, horribly ill and, like, mm-hmm. needs help. Like, no. He's on his computer trading his, like, stocks. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he's, like, sorry, there's some really important trades that need to, needed to be made tonight. I'm, like, are At you 3 kidding me? I'm, like, yeah. And I'm, like, are you kidding me? Like, Brandon. <laughs> you did not take good care of yourself. The other thing is it's, it's frankly hard to trust that men are as sick as they say they are. Yes. Because I just, I've seen what my brothers and my dad look like when they're sick. And it just seems like they're just being a little complaining. Well, and I think, I don't know. It's very surprising to me, though, because it's like, well, haven't hasn't society put all the stuff on men that they need to be macho and tough? But it's like, give them a cold and, and all then, of that goes out the yeah. window. <laughs> well, I think it's like the only time they can legitimately claim to be weakened because it's like something it's like an outside force yeah well and I think that I have been cursed with this sickness because on Friday Brennan and I went out to dinner and Brennan was like wow like I can't believe you haven't gotten this because like you know like we live together and like share a space Mm -hmm. and like whatever and I'm like yeah well you know my immune system is really tough and I like <laughs> so you cursed yourself I, I basically bragged about my immune system and then like by the time that we got home my voice was like getting it's like raspy prime so I was like wow I'm gonna like record f- some songs on my guitar because this is like prime <laughs> the next morning I wake up I'm like f- full flu mm-hmm. so this yo-yoing of weather has been giving me a headache mm-hmm. that I will say because last week when we recorded this, it could not have been colder. True. I was freezing True. walking home. And then this week it's 60 degrees. 65 degrees. Yeah. Like, it is it is balmy. It was quite lovely walking here. I had lunch at Cafe Leopold's and people were sitting outside like yeah. they were in France. Yeah. I will say anytime, I don't enjoy when the weather is like this in January. It makes me very nervous because it just, it feels like global warming. And I get scared. So whenever anyone's like, isn't this great? I'm like, no, it's not. This is not what January is supposed to be. Well, see, to me, it also, like, I feel like it's luring me into a false sense of security. Right. It's like, oh, I'm going to start putting my sweaters away, and then you're going to get hit by the snow bomb. Right. Because I tend, I almost wore my winter coat today just because it's like, I'm just like, it's January, and that's what one does. And as soon as I stop wearing my winter coat, I don't know if I'll be able to put it on again. Yep. I feel that. Yeah, I wore this, like, coat that doesn't match my outfit at all because I didn't even have time to look at my light coats. <laughs> like, I was in a big rush, so. There's no time to make that kind of choice. No. Oy vey. I know. It's a tough life. But anyway, so just in case my voice sounds a little bit nasally and less <laughs> sultry than normal, that's why. Happens to the best of it us. It does. So, yeah, how are you feeling this week about the book? Okay, so my general impression of this section of Helter Skelter is that it could have been condensed. Yeah, I feel, I feel that too. I get the sense that Vincent Bugliosi was like, this is the part that I'm in, in and so yes. I want to expand it as far as I can. Well, it's just like if I have to hear the account of what happened at, um, what is it? 10,050 Cielo Drive. One more time. I'm going to scream. I'm going to scream. Because, like, we're getting to... So this phase of the book is mostly um, 
like Vincent Bugliosi collecting evidence and getting ready for the trial. And then we like dipped into like the first basically two days of the trial. Yeah. And so literally it's like Susan Adkins does her grand jury testimony and we hear all about that. And then like a little while later we find Linda Kasabian and we hear her whole account of it, right. which we're told matches Susan's story. It's like, Vincent, you could have just said, I interviewed Linda and her account matched what Susan had said. Plus, what, these are what yeah. this is what she added. And then also, Vincent, I didn't need your entire opening statement to the jury because it was everything that you had already told us. I know that was so masturbatory. It was I unbelievable. Was like, Vincent, come on. I know. Well, and I think <laughs> the the other thing too is that like I am feeling a little bit untrustworthy of Vincent because Mm -hmm. he never ever ever claims to have made a mistake. I was going to ask you like I was one of my questions reading this section is what do we miss in reading Vincent's account because he never admits to mistakes. He constantly points out when the LAPD and the LASO offices are less than stellar and so it's like we don't we don't ever see if he had any shortcomings which I'm sure because he's a human being and this was an insane trial he did. Well, and I think too, like hindsight's twenty twenty, and so you can have absolutely the best intentions, mm-hmm. and then realize like that was a mistake. Yeah. Like which I think um, in the People versus OJ show, mm-hmm. like I never left that show feeling like, well, Marsha Clark was really subpar. But right. like, were there mistakes made? Absolutely. Yeah. And Christopher frankly, Darden made mistakes, but I wasn't like, wow, he really. Yeah. He deserves to but, be disbarred. <laughs> no, and I and I think you can also like very much understand why the mistakes were made. Yeah, and so it's sort of like, I don't know. I just I just find it hard to believe that Vincent has no regrets with his entire thing. The whole book is look how clever I am, right? For and how this dumb everyone else is. Yeah, and like God, I have to deal with the incompetence of everyone around me. But thank goodness for me because I'm gonna get this shit done. <laughs> right, and like I mean, it's a story well told, and you know, I don't feel like he's definitely lying, but I do think that this is, in terms of nonfiction, it's a limitation when you're reading. I think like people tend to privilege accounts that were there. Right, and this is definitely there's suspicions to be had about like. His own involvement. Well, and I think, too, like, he sees everything very much black and white Mm -hmm. and, like, leaves no room for ambiguity about pretty much anything. And I think that also is, like, a shortcoming of the book. Yes. Right. Well, the section started and I was like, ooh, good. Like, this is kind of my favorite bit. Like, collecting evidence. I really like these puzzle pieces that are coming together. I really like that he's, like going a little deeper for the search for motive. and So I enjoyed pieces fitting together, but the fact that he... I mean, this is a 600-page book, and I would be willing to bet a couple page, a couple hundred pages could have been cut out. Like, where was his I would editor? say at least 200. Like, I um, know if I tried to pull this shit with Patrick O'Malley, he would have been like, Audrey, you say the same shit three different times. You can condense. At least three. I mean, he says it a lot of times. Because <laughs> he said that to me constantly. <laughs> well, and I I also, like, have to wonder, too, because he talks about how he's like, well, I need to make this point several times to the jury so they really get it. I'm like, you're also doing that in your book. Yes. <laughs> so please chill. We, you know, we can read it. Well, when, um, when did he write this? In the 70s. Okay. So like, it I wasn't think, long after. He, I, I want to say it was published in 76. Okay. So, like, five years later. Intrigue. Yeah. 
Like the first edition. The edition we have is later. Yeah. But with the new um with the new after forward or whatever. Oh, I was 74. Okay. So so it's only like 4 years after the trial itself starts. Exactly. Yeah. And I will say we were I mean, I think we were rightly critical of the mm-hmm. LAPD. And I will continue to be because it doesn't seem like they really had a fire under them to solve this crime. Right. But it's also pretty impressive that they were able to arrest people for this crime only a few months after it happened, given like the bizarre right. nature of the crime. Well, and I but think, I think that that had a lot more to do with. I also Susan. think they can't have completely bungled it because ultimately we know that these people are convicted. Right. And so it's like even though they're like. Like that's the thing. It's like Vincent, you can you can be honest with us yeah. about what happened because everything's gonna turn out okay and we know that. Yeah. And so like I wanna know like I mean that was exactly the opposite of how I felt with the OJ case because I'm like things seem to be going really well mm-hmm. how is this shit gonna fall apart mm-hmm. and that so it's like mm-hmm. caused me a lot of anxiety whereas yes. with, with this book I'm like I can relax because like I know things are gonna be mm-hmm. okay but I also would like to see some challenges that you faced yeah like did you make a mistake Vincent yeah I feel like you probably might have right which I think he I, I mean I definitely think that he has done everything that he thought was right, which is Mm -hmm. fine. And you can stand by that and be like, you know, I would make the same decision again with the facts that I had. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, it just doesn't make you a very relatable narrator. And it just makes him seem a little condescending. Yeah. So it gives me a little bit, like, I feel like it was way more impartial in the first section before he was like, sup, I'm Vincent Bugliosi. Before he was in it, you mean? This is my story. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll just start going through my notes. It's okay. like... Same. Kind of... I mean, your notes are definitely better than mine. I can hardly read my own handwriting. So, <laughs> like, maybe you should... You, you could be a better... Um, oh, I don't know about... Frame in terms than of me. handwriting, but... Okay. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but, like, it's... I literally, like, don't even know that these are letters <laughs> that I've written. I have a whole I have a whole page and a half on Dennis Wilson, so that's perfect. <laughs> okay, so I definitely can you know t- hold, hold the charge on that. Literally, when I got to a part about Dennis Wilson, I was reading um, like on the subway or somewhere, and I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about the fact that I can't take notes right now because <laughs> like Sheriff's going to take this part. Yeah, I will. so I'll just don't add my own it. little bits to what I remember of that bit and won't yeah. worry about making notes. Yeah, don't worry. I also did Wikipedia research. So don't worry about it. Yeah, I got it. I Perfect. got you on that. Perfect. Um, so the first thing I said is oh, that. Oh wait, sorry. No. What? Um, I just before we get to this, we just have a 2018 update. Oh. Leslie Van Houten denied parole like literally a couple days ago. Damn girl. I know. So Leslie Van Houten is in prison for murdering Rosemary and Lena LaBianca. Yeah. She was not at the Cielo Drive house. Um. And apparently the parole board recommended that she be given parole, but the governor uh, uh, uh. was like, no, no way. No, thank you, please. Well, apparently he, his rationale for that was that she was still lying or like still laying blame with Manson ultimately. Like she took responsibility for joining him basically, but she was kind of like, you know, like I was responsible for like allowing myself to you know, be kind of brainwashed by yeah. him and being in that situation. But she didn't take responsibility for actually stabbing those people. She was like, I let myself be brainwashed and then this is what happened instead of, like, I murdered these people. Right. 
And also, apparently, you know, like, I don't think the governor wants to be the guy who let out a Manson girl. Right. That's not great. No, it's not great. Well, and so are any of them out on parole? No. Okay. Mm, Actually, I have no idea. Okay. I don't think so. I remember, because I think in that article... Susan died. She died in jail. Charlie died in jail a few months ago. Um, I don't believe that any of them that are... None of the Manson family that are in prison for these crimes are out. Okay. But, like, I don't know what Squeaky's status is, but she took a shot at a president, so I'm guessing that she's never getting out. Who did she take a shot at? Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, What? I know. Squeaky. Yeah, you know, what can you do? (laughs) Um, So, okay, so, like, the first part we kind of get to is... um, Susan Atkins' testimony yes. at the grand jury. Mm-hmm. And so when she tells her story, it's very interesting to me that she does not own up to stabbing Sharon Tate, which she did in the beginning. Yeah. Which makes me believe that she's much more aware of herself mm-hmm. than, she, like, than people say. Because, like, knowing your audience and knowing to shift that and being like, mm-hmm. mm, stabbing a pregnant lady is, like, probably, like, gonna turn these people against me so she like switches it up and then is like "Mm, I know I didn't stop her at the same time you could argue that she was trying to impress her cellmates because she may read that room wrong because she was like Mm. I bet I can tell you a story that scares you and it was me because it was like the worst crime so you think she didn't stop her I mm, I don't know for sure I would put money on that she did but I thought because that she in, also hedges about stabbing, I think, Wojciech Frykowski. Because she's like, oh, I was just kind of like throwing my knife around. Right. Whereas she says that she stabbed him in the legs. Right. But again, she could have just known that from the news that he was stabbed in the legs and um, and said that she had done that. But I don't... I don't know, though. Because I don't think that, like, details like that were necessarily in the thing. Right. Well, in this point, too, she's not really, like, aligned with Manson. So I feel like her, um, what's his name? Baldadero? Baldadero? How do you? Co- Cabrero. Who? Oh, what's Cabrera. Her? Cabrera. Cabrera. Um, Cabrera, whatever. <laughs> her her d- current defense attorney, I think, was able to maybe, like, her time away from Manson, yeah. her time with other people, and then her time with the defense attorney, he was probably able to really kind of get her to put herself in the best position because she got a pretty good deal. She testified for the grand jury, and then none of that testimony could be used against her, and they couldn't seek the death penalty. Right. So I think she was definitely, like, she was starting to break free of him, so his hold was probably tenuous. Yeah. Well, I don't know. So I, I think she definitely stabbed her, Sharon Tate, though. Oh, probably. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. She... I just think she also, like, maybe played into her, like, Looney Tune behavior more than was real. Mm-hmm. Just to, like... to like Because I think a lot of what she did was, like, for shock value. And, mm-hmm. like... I don't know. She's just... She's bad news. Like when we find out from Linda Kasabian that when they leave that apartment complex, she just like poops on the floor. Stairwell. And I, this is another moment though where I think we could perhaps criticize Vincent Bugliosi because it says Susan Adkins, ever the animal defecated in the stairwell, which I was like, I don't like Susan Adkins or what she did, but I don't know that that's 
fair. Well, <laughs> and I think he also, like, I don't like about how the way that he describes the women is always in terms of their attractiveness. Yeah. Like, he's like... Uh, this girl was not a cute one, FYI. Or, like, <laughs> none of them had big boobs except Susan Atkins. It's like, why is this pertinent, Well, Vincent? that, I think, was more pertinent because it was, like, the plan was that they were going to be topless dancers. Well, but I think the way he wrote it is, like, none of them had impressive busts. Oh, right. Which I'm like, Vincent, gross. Yeah, you could just say they weren't, they didn't cut it or something. <laughs> I don't know. You could put they, the, You could say they were flat-chested. Yeah. But, like, you don't need to, like... I also like that he kind of, like speculates for whatever reason Manson never attracted or only attracted flat-chested women. <laughs> Why is that something that we are now asked to wonder about? I don't know. <laughs> it's like you can tell this was written in the 70s because an editor would have been like, "Nope. You're I not don't know writing about that. this one." No. <laughs> um I have a quote from Susan Atkins' testimony Charles Manson changes from second to second. He can be anything he wants to be. He can put on any face he wants to put on at any given moment. And I wrote, fuck this guy for making her believe that. I know. Well, because that's that idea is repeated several times. And I think it's Paul, what is it, Walkins or Walker? Walkins. Walkins. Um, he repeat Paul oh Watkins. pages of notes. I know, I couldn't help it. Um, Paul Watkins, he says that, but it's almost like it's like Charlie knew who he needed to be in situations, whereas I feel like Susan describes it like he's a faceless man from <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones. Well, <laughs> and yeah, well, I mean, he is I, like he's constantly described as a chameleon. Yeah. And I think that's true. Yeah. And that I think he's very good at playing to different audiences and knowing his audience and knowing how to behave in order to, like, best influence that audience. Yes. But, like, th- that doesn't mean that yeah. he has a thousand faces that he can try on at any time. Right. Of the people he's killed. Also in Susan's testimony, we learned that Charlie told Leslie, Patricia, and Tex to hitchhike back to the ranch when they'd finished killing the LaBiancas. Yeah. Which, like, that shouldn't have been suspicious. You just stabbed people to death. You're probably covered with blood. And then you're just going to hitchhike back? And, and they're, like, carrying a jug of chocolate milk. Sure. So. Yeah. Makes sense. Although they did all wear dark clothing, so you might not necessarily be able to tell they were covered in blood. That's true. And maybe they had a change of clothes, but I don't think they did. I don't know that they're that good of planners. Allegedly, they showered, but they didn't wash their clothes. I don't know. Oy vey. Also, good for Linda um, for hiding the lobby, Mrs. LaBianca's wallet so well that it couldn't be blamed on any black people. <laughs> I know. Like, fuck you, Charles Manson. You're going to commit these heinous crimes, and then you're going to drive Rosemary LaBianca's wallet into a predominantly black neighborhood to see if maybe one of them would steal it. Well, you know what? They didn't. They did not steal it. When it was found, it was turned into the police. Yeah. You fucking racist. His yeah, his views on women and like any minority are disgusting. horrific. They are horrible. It's like Hitler. He knew the score. It's like no, no, no. no he no. what does he said? <laughs> he says I have it written down somewhere. He was a tuned in guy. Sure. All right. Yeah. Okay. Got hmm. it. All right. 
<laughs> I don't I don't feel like that's that's cool. Well, and he says basically like women's role in society are like it's twofold. One is to serve men, sure. and the other is to give birth. Yes. That's it. Yeah, that's what they're for. But they're not for raising children. No, no. That has to be done by a community so they don't end up with the parents' hang-ups. Yep. Makes sense. Got it. Yes. <laughs> I have, why do I have this note? Poor Vince, literally no one believes him. About what? I don't know. <laughs> at one point, I will say Vincent doesn't have the best view of women either. He at one point whines about not having a secretary. I'm like, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote yuck in the margin. <laughs> like he basically is like, we, you know, I lived in like this horrible office and like, you know, there was a cot there for cat naps and then not a secretary in sight. It's like, wow, I'm so sorry for you. Yeah, I'm sure it was really tough. Um, oh, and just so it's clear um, for everyone, because at first I didn't quite understand this. So a grand jury is to determine whether or not um, a case will go to trial. Yeah. So the idea is um, Susan testified to a grand jury so that they would um, basically charge... Susan, Patricia, Linda, Leslie, and Tex, and Charles Manson with murder. And then and then it would go to trial. But they couldn't use that grand jury testimony against Susan. And then it was leaked to the LA Times. Right. Well, and so the other thing about a grand jury trial is that, like, the burden of proof is much, much, much less than the actual trial. And so, like, when when the prosecution is sort of, like, laying out the case. They're laying out the bare minimum. Yeah. To just, like, say, like, yeah, these people probably did this. So. Yeah. Susan's testimony at that time also couldn't be used against any of the other defendants. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing seemed like a bit of a bad idea. Yeah. At the time. But I guess they had really no other choice. They didn't have Linda there at the time. Right. And they didn't know, like, they didn't know that she was a good egg. Right. So, um, another part that I wrote down uh, is like Vincent also likes to play into like Charlie's power a little bit too because oh I like that when um like at one point during the trial like Charlie stares at him and then yes. his, his watch stops and then he just like winks at him and it's like <laughs> really scary and so it's like. Like, you sort of wonder, it's like, does Vincent believe that he, like, has powers? Or is he just, like, I think he's definitely bone? cultivating the idea that we should, like, we should be involved, or we should be interested in the witchier elements of this case. Because yeah. I think it was a weird time in Vince's life. <laughs> I mean, I was I dealing guess. with these people on a daily basis. I would guess. Um, oh, Bernard Weiss. Responsible citizen who follows up about the gun that his I son know. found when he becomes certain it was a murder weapon. He's I know. Like, you know what? My son found one of those guns, and I'm gonna call the police to make sure that this is all handled. Which, like, okay, citizens are really coming through. The citizens in this case are unreal. So this kid, who's 13 years old, finds the gun, carries it by the point so that he doesn't get fingerprints on right. it. The police who takes it puts his hands all over right. it. Right. Prince galore. Great. Right. Then they don't 
like log it into evidence or even like examine it because they're like "Mm, thanks anyway kid my head almost exploded during that part where it was like bernard called the lapd to see like if this had been logged into evidence or if it had ever made its way into the case and they were like look we throw guns into the ocean after a while i know i was like i'm sorry what you can't throw guns into the ocean first of all pollution Second of all, what if it had been a part of a crime and you have just thrown it into the ocean? Yeah, well, and the fact that he had to call three times. Yes. That, like, he had given them a piece of very important evidence. Uh And he has to call back and, like, affirm that they've, you know, like, done their job three times. He had to call a reporter to finally, like... And then shit gets done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you threaten somebody with their incompetence becoming public... Yes, yeah. snap too. I will say I am a very good citizen in that I call nine one one all the damn time. <laughs> I do too, actually. <laughs> like, I one time I was um, driving by my house and there's a hospital like pretty close by, and I saw a man like wearing like basically the hospital gown, like the backless hospital gown, dragging mm-hmm. an IV behind him. So I called nine one one because I was certain that he was escaped from the sixth floor. <laughs> And um, that had happened previously when I was in high school that, like, that floor had somehow, like, their doors had not, like, there were, like, magnetic locked doors and it had, like, gotten unlocked. So, like, there were, like, basically mental patients all around town. Oh, no. And um, we had to go on lockdown. Sure. <laughs> so, anyway, so I called I called on that. Like, I call when I see, you know, dogs on the freeway. I do that, too. I call when I feel like drivers might be drunk. Yeah. If they're swerving. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Call 911, guys. Or if it's, if you see a stray dog, don't call 911. Call the non-emergency number. Because well, that exists. But if there's a dog on the freeway, that that's an emergency. That's a 911. That, I mean, because that could cause an accident. Right. So I when I called on that, um, they were like, yeah, we've had three other calls. I'm like, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Concerned citizen alert. Yeah. My mom um, called 911 when she saw a, a group of teenagers, and the girl did not look like she wanted to be there. So <laughs> so that's that's who I'm learning from. That's, you know, call it all the time. Speaking of groups of teenagers, um, in the courtroom, Manson would wink at pretty girls in the courtroom, which I was like, yuck. Yuck but city. Vincent notes... That most of the girls looked flattered. I know. No. Well, and then, like, during this time, he's getting people to still join the family. Like, oh, it's, like, like more popular than ever. Yeah. yeah. It's nuts. Which, and like, this is all before, like, the trial. They're doing, like, pre-trial stuff where, like, Charles is in and out of there. Like, I will defend myself. And if I can't, you're denying me my rights. And I'm going to have all the girls fire their attorneys every other day. I know. Which, let me just say, like... People who try to represent themselves in court my are favorite thing. the worst breed. My favorite thing. They are horrible. Like, you know when they're like, oh. I would like to represent myself. You're yes. like, we are in for some drama because <laughs> this is a perfect narcissist. This is a complete narcissist. <laughs> they are a sociopath. Yep. You have no clue what's coming next. Yeah. It's an ego-driven bad idea. Yep. I have written down. Um, speaking of people who represent themselves in court, um, Brandon and I just finished the Unabomb documentary or like, Ooh, okay. the drum the dramumentary. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like based on true events, but it's a drama. Dramatization. Yeah. Um with um Mr. Big and yeah. whatever, some other people. But um 
So he, the Unabomber represents himself. Yes. But, like, let me just say, like, that show really made me sympathize with the Unabomber. Which, like, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, they did a very good job with it. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, which, like, I, you know, he definitely should be in jail. But, like, Mm -hmm. basically his attorneys decide to do an insanity plea, which, like, is not what he wanted. And he's like, I would rather have the death penalty than do an insanity plea. Perfect. And so then he, like, tries to fire them, but they, like, go behind his back. And, like, anyway. So then that's why he pleads guilty. um, Wow. Because he doesn't want to go to trial at all and have them use that defense. Oh. So... But he tries to represent himself, and they're like, sorry, are you fit to represent yourself? Yeah. Which was very sad. Anyway, it was very sad, and it's just like, I don't know. He had a hard life. He had a hard childhood. It's, you know, he did horrendous things. No, he did horrible, horrible things. Lots of people have bad childhoods, and they don't, they don't become Charles Manson. They don't become Ted Bundy. They don't become the Unabomber. I know. <laughs> I know. But, but I, it's true. It does give you sympathy for I mean... You think I have, about it I have, now in terms of, like, you don't just dismiss it as this is the evil of one person, that you see how serial killers and evil men are made and yeah. not born. I mean, sometimes I think that some people, like, just have... Some people are just sociopaths, though. Yeah, that's true. But, but well... Like, there are sociopaths that don't kill people, I feel like. Oh, for sure. There are a lot more sociopaths than you think. Right. And they don't always end up killing people. Well, and there's a difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. Yeah. Like, a sociopath is just somebody who can't, like, feel compassion. Yeah. Like, they can't relate to, like, human experience or, like, Mm -hmm. human emotion. Right. But that doesn't mean that they, like, you know, kill animals as a child and set small fires and then kill people. Right. But, um, what was I going to say? Anyway, I I also think, too, with the Unabomber documentary, like, um... I think that the actor they chose to play him was very sympathetic because he just seems like he's a guy who, like, wants to be left alone. And, like, mm-hmm. he really reminds me of one of my friend's dads. And so I just had a very hard time, like, separating myself when, like, I think the real guy, like, I looked at pictures of him, like, no, no, don't feel sorry anymore. But, <laughs> but the, the actor that played him was just a little too likable. Okay. And, like, a little too sociable-seeming. And is that is that how we're going to feel about Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy? Oh, my God. I cannot America's sweetheart. Oh, my God. The I... ladies' choice, Troy Bolton. I am so excited. It's it's happening. I am really very excited. Have you seen the picture, like, the promo of him yeah. for it that, like, I retweeted? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I, like... Zac Efron is certainly not, like, my number one or no, anything. I don't. I don't. Okay, well, I, you can speak for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I find him cute, but, like, he's not, you know, he's not Dennis Wilson, you know. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> he doesn't do it for me. But, like, I am very excited to, oh, ha- to see him, you know, get into a role that's not so sweet. I don't think he'll dance at all in this movie. Shit. Yeah, Ted Bunny doesn't strike me as much of a dancer. Much of a groover. Although, I guess, like, he did have that, like, free bug and, you know. <laughs> Just like that son of a bitch with his fucking <laughs> sling. <laughs> I know, just like playing weak, like helpless man. I need help carrying my books. Like, you have another arm, you asshole. Just acting like Brennan with a cold. Limping along. Could you just like help me like get my boat out of my car? My boat? 
Yeah, there was a day he was like at the beach or some shit, and he like tried to get all he oh, like, like a rowboat. Yeah, like, he, like, can you guys help me get my yacht out of my car? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't asshole. wait. When does that come out? Like I can't. I like I want to start a countdown clock. Well, see the thing. The thing about movies these days is I feel like they start. We know about them too soon. Yeah. Because then I get very excited. Like I'm actively trying not to think about the movie Black Panther, because my excitement for that movie. Like, the trailer looks like it's going to be really great. I'm very excited. But as usually happens with movies like this, once I see it, my expectations are so high yeah. that I usually don't like it the first time I see it. I know. You so, have that problem. But I I mean, I don't know. Like, I have to expect it to be bad in order to like it. Well, I do not expect this Ted Bundy movie to be bad. I think it's going to be really good. See, I could see it not being good. And I have to believe that and so that I am pleasantly surprised. Because, ladies and gentlemen... When you expect the worst. I think <laughs> I want to go see that with you and Rachel. Yeah, you should. I think that'd be really fun. Rachel will be conflicted the whole time. I know. I, that's Which is perfect. I, it's like it's like what women were like with Ted Bundy, where you're like, maybe there's something off about this person, but he sure is handsome and charming. Right. Which, I'm going to let him use the law library so he can escape out the window, which happened when he was in custody, and then he killed two more people. I know. <laughs> But, oh, Ted. you know, is he dead or is he still in prison? No, I think he's dead. I, like, I, I'll look it up, but I'm pretty sure. My instinct dead. says he's dead. I just think we would see more like pictures of him. Yeah. We'd hear more about. But I think I to. want, maybe he was executed. You're right. Yeah. He was executed. Yeah. Because he was in jail in Florida. They kill people there. <laughs> I mean, they're supposed to kill people in California. So well, they got rid of it, and then they brought it back. Right. And it's all very confusing. It's all messed up, yeah. Um, speaking of states and their their funny approaches to the law, Texas, yeah. you can't refuse to extradite Tex Watson. Why do they keep doing that? It's just Come on. Like... Is he dead? <laughs> yes, he's dead, but he died, in, eight, creep. He died in 1989. Oh. I don't like his eyes. He, We're talking about Ted Bundy again, by the way. Um, yikes. <laughs> he was um, executed by electrocution. Yuck. Oh. Yuck. That's a oh, r- fuck. <laughs> uh, that's bad. <laughs> but I do, yeah, I like that Vincent Bugliosi is very sassy about Texas not wanting to extradite Tex Wilson. I'm Googling Todd Bundy last words. I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at one point Vince says, like, it is mandatory, not a choice, to extradite someone when they've been convicted of crime. What did you just see? <laughs> you recoiled so hard. Um, so his last words were, I'd like you to give my love to my family and friends. Um, and then it says, Ted Bundy raped, murdered, and mutilated numerous young women across America. His true victim count is not known, but before his execution in January 1989, he confessed to 30 murders. Great. Ted... No. You rascal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I know. I don't, the whole Texas thing, like, I just think mm-hmm. it's because, like, he has connections in Texas, and so they're like, no, you can't have them. Yeah. And, like, somehow that's fine. Yeah. But it's like, aren't you upset that he did that to people? He carved war into someone's chest. Was that him or was that, that was one of the women. I think it was him. See, text to me is worse than the women because I think the women were, like, very, like, they were accountable for their own actions, but they were much more, like, under the spell. Like, I guess it just doesn't make as much sense to me that the men 
that there were men in the Manson family as it does that there were women. I but guess. I but I think too though that like there like like Charlie used sex a lot to like basically like break people down and like win mm-hmm. them and yeah. like it was not just ma- male female sex right, like no. he was having sex with the men too well because you couldn't have hang-ups he said right you had so to like be open so to I don't love so I don't know if like like it wasn't like the men were being treated any differently I don't think no well and I guess it makes more sense when Vincent Bugliosi talks to Paul Watkins right because you start to see like how how it was kind of cultish that the men would get sucked into this idea of love and these wars and things like that. Because I think otherwise it just looks like Tex was there, like, to fuck women and was like, yeah, this seems like I like to kill people, so sure. I'll go along. Which I think, like, it's more complicated than that, for sure. But But also, like, his refusal to be extradited, I think, also shows that he's not A lack of remorse. Yeah. Yeah, and it will also shows... Like, because Patricia comes back. Because Patricia Krenwinkel is arrested in Alabama. Right. Because she's with her family at that point. And don't they turn her over? They're like, take her, please. Like, <laughs> Well, they say, like, oh, she was here. But then they see, like, the cops see her driving down the street with some dude. Oh, that's right. And then they arrest her. Yeah. Um, And at first she, like, was denying extradition. But then she gets enough letters from, like, Sandy, Squeaky, and Gypsy that she's like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, we'll do a united defense. But Tex doesn't do that. So I think he's, like, less loyal to I see, family. I see, I see, yeah. It's kind of like when Susan Atkins testifies for the grand jury because she's, like, kind of broken apart from the spell. And then they write Su- Susan Atkins as a snitch on the wall in the prison. And she eventually demands to see Charles Manson again, which I picture being kind of like, have you ever seen, I forget which Austin Powers it is, but it's when Frau visits Dr. Evil when he's in jail. I think it's in the second one. I think I have not seen that because I do not know who Frau is. Frau is the one who yells. No. Okay. Is he in the first one? She. Okay. She's the, the, definitely She's no. the one who's like, bring in the meteor! She's I've only the seen one. the first one. I don't know. Sure. I'm sorry. Like, I just don't... <laughs> I'm not a big fan of, like, you know, people shooting stuff out of their boobs, you know? That's fair. <laughs> but for those of you who have seen Austin Powers, I picture their them being reunited something like Frau and Dr. Evil being reunited which is basically like they made out okay <laughs> yeah I mean also fucking LAPD they're throwing guns into the ocean and threatening Diane Lake who's like 15 at the time with the gas chamber I know I know it, like I, I always forget like how young like these girls are 10 years younger than us some of them yeah yeah and also Diane Lake it's worth mentioning Joined the Manson family with her parents' approval. Her parents—they did not care about her. They were—they were hippie commune parents. Yeah, and they met Charlie, and they're like, "Yeah, I mean, why not? She makes her own choices. She's fourteen after all." Which no, like she's a freshman in high school. Yeah, but then eventually, this gem of a man, Officer Gardner, has his wife and children start visiting Diane to show her kindness. Which also, Officer Gardner, is that not dangerous? I, no kidding. Like, do not send your kids to the the ranch. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's a general rule that law enforcement is not supposed to involve their children in their cases. Like, for example. You don't even want them to know you have children. No. Well, for example, I was watching The Wire. I've been watching The Wire. Okay. Um, and there's this one detective. His, he's, his name is Officer McNulty or Detective McNulty. 
and like everyone hates him because they think it's his fault that they have to do this task force to try to catch these like up high drug guys in Baltimore. And one of the highest is my boyfriend, Idris Elba. Right. <laughs> Stringer Bell. We found a way to fit name. him in. Don't yeah. worry, guys. <laughs> and it was actually way more natural than usual. I know. But so McNulty is with his children at this like at this market. It's kind of like union market. Okay. And sees Stringer Bell there. And he goes and has his kids, like, follow Stringer Bell around the market. No! And the kid goes and writes down Stringer Bell's license plate number, which, like, good for you, children. But Stringer Bell is dangerous. He's, like, second in command of this, like, drug gang in Baltimore. That's a, like... Do they just know that, like, Idris Elba would never hurt a child? Well, he's very sophisticated (laughs) in the show. Like, McNulty later follows him and finds out he's taking macroeconomic classes, which my heart just, like, exploded. (laughs) But he's Um, not a good person, which... So I'm very conflicted in the show. um, I like how Charlie... um, says that jail is basically cramping his style so he should be his spiritual style and so he should be let out immediately (laughs) which the judge is like no i will say this is my um this is my favorite part of the manson like story um once the trial starts because i feel like you should never distance yourself from what charlie did but i it's very fun for me to like listen to all the shenanigans that charlie tried to pull i know well, it's just, like, it's just fun now, you know? Yeah. Like, he shows up to fucking court with an X on his head because he's X'd himself from the world. And he's, like, he's been shunned and it's everyone's fault. He turns his back to the judge. He just stares at the judge for hours. And the judge ignores him. <laughs> They're like, I'm not playing into your game. Oh, it's so fun. Like, he also, like, requests a new judge. Yes, like, I mean, all he, the time. Like, <laughs> yep. He gets the most annoying lawyer and like the entirety <laughs> of the country to be his his representative, just to like make everyone mad. And he's like, "I know that this is a bad lawyer, but like, you should really just be letting me represent myself like I want." <laughs> They're like, "No." He's like, "Well, if you don't let me, I'm going to cause trouble." <laughs> See, do you hear that cough, guys? I was sick. Oh, Charlie. And he does. He causes a lot of trouble. And then, like, he asks at one point, <laughs> he wanted to ask the jurors a few simple childlike questions that are real to him in his reality. Like, what? <laughs> Come on. I just, like, can you imagine being that judge? She's like, no, you may not do that. Like, can you imagine being on that jury? Like, no, thank you. I don't want him to look at me, please. No. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I just, like... The, the the patience that that judge must oh, have I had know. to exercise not patience to patience of a saint oh my god just being like um no and he would like show up in court being like I have a crazy motion that I am sure that you have never heard in your life and the judge would be like try me like I I, I love the judge <laughs> that judge is so sassy <laughs> oh so good. I also, like, the other person who I love is Ruby, who, like, she, like, I think she was, like, a ranch. Yes. Like, or she, like, I managed her. the ranch or yeah, something. Yeah, and she goes to visit Charles Manson once in jail, and she's like, I'm here for one reason and one reason only. I want to know where Shorty Shay is. And he's like, ask the Black Panthers. And she's like, you and I both know that they had <laughs> nothing to do with it. I know. Like, Vincent describes her as a gallant lady. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, I, like, I'm like, yes. Like, 
Because I, I like that, like, Manson is clearly afraid of her. He's like, shit, I have no influence over you. No, not none at all. All good things. I also really liked that Joe Sage character who, he's the one, so when Linda runs away from the ranch, from Spawn Ranch. Yeah. He's the one who um, Vincent describes as he has a reputation for helping people. He's a Zen monk. Oh, He runs yeah. a macrobiotic church. Yeah. And he ran for president on an anti-pollution ticket. Yes. Yep, Jim. yep, yep, yep. Yeah, okay. So, wait. So, should we talk about, like, how do you feel about Linda Kasabian? Like, what's your vibe? I think she's a hero. Okay. <laughs> and, like, how... I think... I also think that she is... So, I, I feel like she's... Like, Jenny from Forrest Gump. Like, where she, like, is a little bit of a lost soul okay. in the 60s. And so she's, like, been hopping around communes, kind of looking for her purpose. Yep. Makes a, makes a regrettable choice. Yep. By joining Manson. Because she was only in the family for, like, a month right. before the killing. So she definitely, she was still in the, like, this is, like, a cool, like, love place. Not a, right. not a, a hit, scary place. hit murder place. Yeah. Well, and at that point, too, like, I don't, like, the murdering had just kind of started. Like, right. I don't think that there had, I mean, it seemed like Charlie had his own stuff, but it didn't seem like he was involving the family in it until no. later. Well, because everyone else that was involved in the killings had been involved in the family for at least a year. But they bring Linda along because she has a valid driver's license. And right. Mary Brunner was already arrested, and she was the only other one with a valid driver's license. Right. Because, you know what, if we get pulled over and, you know, are written a ticket, that's, you know, very serious. Yeah. Well, I think it was more like they could ask questions, like, where were you going? Why right. do you have blood on you? Right. I like that Tex tells Linda... Um, because they can't get, ask those questions if you have a valid right. driver's license. <laughs> if we get stopped, um, oh, you're right. <laughs> if we get stopped by the police, throw the knives and the gun out the window. Because that's not suspicious, throwing things out of a window. You when didn't you're find stopped. this in my car. <laughs> this was just on the road. Yeah. I threw it out. It's like, what did you just throw? Not knives and a gun. Gum. Why do you have all those knives? N- no. I have a valid driver's license. <laughs> G- goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> um,. Yeah, well, so, I mean, the part that is it that is complicated, though, is the fact that she leaves her daughter behind. Yeah. Which, like, I also, though, like, I'm, like, the girl is, like, a teen mom, basically. Yeah, she's, and she's just, like, strung out. And I also think, not that this is that much of an excuse, but I also think it was, like, the 60s. And so, like, frankly, like, children were just kind of, like, accessories. And obviously her child was very important to her. But I don't think that they had as much of a, like, like a, a sense of urgency about children in the 60s, especially if, like, you've spent most of your adult life on communes. Right. Well, and, I mean, nothing happened to her. So, I mean, like, all's, yeah, well, so it all's well that ends well. But uh. Well, and I also think she probably thought, like, they'll probably try to use my daughter to lure me back. So they're probably not going to hurt her. But also she's lucky that Spawn Ranch was raided when it was and that the crazy, the most crazy people were away. Yeah. Well, and that because the children were all taken by social services. Oh, right, right, right. Right. And they find out that somebody had gone to the social worker's office and was like, Tanya's mine. And they were like, no, she's not. Right. Please leave. Right. Which, like, <clears throat> Charlie was obviously going to try to use her as leverage to get Linda oh, 100%. to go along with their plan. Yeah. 
But yeah, to me, she sounds like Jenny from Forrest I, Yeah, I can see that. I can see that like for sure. That part where she's like clearly in Hate Ashbury, and he's like, anyone want to go here? And she's like, yeah, I'll go. And like wearing her hippie outfits and yeah. going to marches in Washington, D.C. It must have been cheaper to travel around then. <sighs> Because how the fuck does Squeaky and Sandy and Gypsy manage to be fucking everywhere? Like, at one point it says... I just think they drive June buggies, you know, <laughs> like, up to the... They go to Wisconsin wherever. at one point well, to threaten... Like, it's like they're everywhere they need to be to threaten ex-Manson people and witnesses. Well, and, like, they don't have money, really. No, that's so. my thing. It's like, how are they getting places? How did they get to Wisconsin? Probably the press is, like, paying Charlie a bunch of money that he's, like, sure. you know, laundering or whatever. I don't know. Danny DiCarlo is actually bad in giving them the $25,000. No, he's no, he never. <laughs> don't. Danny DiCarlo. I drew a big heart around Al Springer's <laughs> face in my coffee. Oh, man. Um, so do we want to talk? So, like, right now we're talking about, like, mostly, like, trial stuff. But in between the like grand jury part of the trial and when the trial actually has begun is when we learn about motive. Yeah, I was just I feel like say. we should keep that separate because it gets confusing. Right. Well and I think we should probably at least describe like what is Helder Skelter exactly. Oh, I have a page number for what Susan says that it is. Where is it? It's like two hundred and ninety something. Two hundred and forty nine? That's what I have on it. That sounds right. Yep, 249. Let us flip there. No way, flip too far. No, I flipped them over. Okay, I'm, I'm there. Okay. I'll just go for it. <laughs> Charlie. I don't even like to say Charlie. I'd like to say the words came from his mouth that helter-skelter was to be the last war on the face of the earth. It would be all the wars that have ever been fought, built one on top of the other, something that no man can conceive of in his imagination. You can't conceive of what it would be like to see every man judge himself and then take it out on every other man all over the face of the earth. Gross. That's it, right? So helter-skelter. So basically, Bugliosi, as they're approaching the trial, knows that he has to have a motive because it's very difficult to convict someone, like, the prosecution is not obligated to come up with a motive for why somebody committed a crime that they did. But in terms of murder, especially if you're dealing with first degree murder and you're dealing with the death penalty and you're dealing with killers who have not, who don't know the victims really. Right. It really behooves a prosecuting attorney to have a motive because otherwise jurors are just going to be like, well, why would they even do this? So I don't feel like I can convict this person if I don't even have a reason why they would do it. Right. So the reason that they would do something like this is this concept that Charlie made up called Helter Skelter, which is the war to end all wars, which he apparently thought that the Beatles were telling everybody about in the White Album. Charlie heard the White Album and was like, you know what? Blackbird, Revolution Number no. 9, and Helter Skelter are piggies. really piggies. They're really, um... They were written for me. Yeah. Because in Revelations, number nine, in the Bible, it talks of four angels, which 
Charlie says are the Beatles. Right. And there's a fifth angel, which is him. So he's essentially the fifth Beatle. Yes. In his Obviously. Life, which makes sense. <laughs> okay. I like when somebody was like, his music was derivative as fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so basically, he took that to mean he's the fifth angel, and so he has to make an album so that everyone else in the world can know that Helter Skelter is coming right. and it can be brought on. Because his theory was basically like Helter Skelter would be this huge race war right. where a third of the population would be killed off, mostly white, right. and they'd be killed off mostly by black people. Right. But he and his followers, the chosen disciples, would go into the desert in their dune buggies. Yeah. Um and hide under the earth. Hide in the land of milk and honey. Right. Um, People are waiting for them down there. Yes. And they will expand. Well, yeah, and they'll basically, like, create a, like, master race. Yeah, of 144,000 people. (laughs) Which which seems like a lot of people. Um, Because once the black people win the race war... According to Charles Manson, they won't really know what to do. They won't really know how to rule because they've only been ever told what to do. Right. So Charles Manson and his followers will emerge as the true leaders of the world. Which, like... Okay. Okay. Like, bad news. Yeah. Horrible. And as he mentioned, you know, Hitler was a tuned-in guy, so yeah. similar wavelengths so, yeah, they've here. got they've got a similar idea going on. But my question is, is, like, how much do you think that Charles Manson legitimately believed in this philosophy? Or do you think he just, like, liked to talk about shit and then all of his followers were so tuned into him that they, like, they took that as religion? I think he believed it. I mean, I don't know that he, like... See, to me, it's it's hard because in in some ways, like, Charles Manson, I think, is, like, much more tuned in than people give him credit for. Yes. But on the other hand, like, he is really crazy. Yeah. And so, like, I, I just have a hard t- – which is, I think, one of the things that makes him really scary is because you really can't know what he's thinking because mm-hmm. – like, either he's, like, 100% serious or he's, like, 100% conning you. Well, because I think the other way to read this is that, like, I think he's, like, definitely someone who, like, I mean, he was a Scientologist for a long time. Right. So he's not opposed to kind of insane religious ideas. Right. And he's definitely egotistical enough to be, like, I'm the fifth beetle. But I think it also very conveniently wraps into his own personal goals of, like, wanting to be a rock star. Right. And so I feel like he uses this ideology in order to, like, really mobilize his followers to a higher purpose as opposed to just helping him get what he wants. Because I think the other way that you can look at this is, like, it's really shitty at Spawn Ranch. Everybody's getting gonorrhea. Everybody's, like, you know, hot and hungry. So, like, morale is probably pretty low. Right. He's not getting, like, people are telling him he cannot record his music. So he probably, like, it's August in L.A. Like, it's right. fucking horrible. So he right. probably ordered those attacks to, like, give his people, like, oh, yeah, like, Helter Skelter is starting. Because they were probably asking him all the time, like, when are we doing this? Like, when is this starting? When are we moving to the desert and whatever? And it also happens to align with, like, him acting out revenge for not being able to have a recording career. Right. 
Well, and that's the thing that like is the most shocking to find out in this in this book is that oh shit, like Charles Manson had met all of the Cielo Drive victims or like seen them at least yeah once before yeah which like that is like never really talked about like, right like I think that normally when we talk about this case it's like these were really random mm-hmm. like he didn't know them but it's like actually like He'd the day the, house. the day that he was rejected essentially was the day that he saw all those people and then he came back or yeah. like told them to go back yeah. So it's like, is he just kind of lashing out because of the rejection that he felt? And also that, like, one guy was rude to him at the door. Right. But it also is kind of weird, though, too, because they don't go into the guest house, and that's where he's actually rejected. I know. But but I feel like he wants to kill the people that are in the establishment. So I feel like there are elements... I think that there are elements to what he says that he believes, which is, like, kind of that generic hippie, like, anti-establishment stuff... And, like, the idea that, like, you have, like, he needs to record and things like that. And I'm sure that, you know, he was crazy enough to really believe that he was probably, like, a fifth beetle. But he never right. specifically says that he's Jesus. Even though he does write it when he's arrested. Very funny. Charles well, Manson, a.k.a. Jesus Christ. Which also, too, like, it's it's very conveniently set up where his, like, his last name is, like, man's son which is yeah. like you know he's the like man son of god you yeah know, whatever anyway it's like all very convenient for him yeah and like he looks a little bit jesus-y yeah so he leans into the look he leans in for sure yeah um but i my favorite section which like i didn't really take many notes in it was um when vincent bugliosi is like dissecting the Beatles songs Mm -hmm. and, like, basically, like, noting, like, elements of the crime that could be connected to each of the murders. Yeah. That was very cool. Yeah, I like that, too. I also liked that George Harrison was like, no, you may not use my lyrics in your book. Who's your favorite Beatle? Mine is George Harrison. Really? Yes. (laughs) I mean, I just default to Paul. Little cutie. I don't know. Well, number one, George Harrison, I think, had the cutest wife. Yeah. Also, George Harrison was just, like, the kicked puppy. Of the Beatles. Like, very, very talented, and yet I feel like John Lennon was kind of like, fuck you, uh, Yoko Ono has as much say as you do in this right. band. <laughs> right. Well, and But also I really love, like, I find Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney's, like, love very heartbreaking. That she died of cancer, and, like, I think that, you know, they just really loved each other. It was really sweet. Yeah, well... Yeah, George Harrison is still my favorite Beatle, so... (laughs) I mean, that's fine. I don't know. Paul McCartney is always just, like... I don't know. Like, John Lennon's, like, too weird for me, Yeah, I think. Although, like, George Harrison also, like, had his whole weird, like, you know, like, Hare Krishna phase. Mm -hmm. But, I don't know. He just, like, he strikes me as the sweetest Beatle. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I feel like Ringo's probably the nicest. No, Ringo's like, a Ringo's a dick, I think. Really? Yeah. Oh. Sarah McAuliffe. Sarah McAuliffe, hey. <laughs> um, no, I think he's, like, kind of arrogant and, like, the least talented. Well, I recently saw a picture of him that annoyed me. Um, he was at Stella McCartney's fashion show with Paul, and it's, like, a very nice picture of the three of them, except for fucking Ringo's doing his peace sign. I'm like, Can you not? <laughs> This is a lovely photo with Stella, her father, and you, and you're, like, 
taking up a lot of the frame with a peace sign. Wait, Stella McCartney is Paul McCartney's daughter? Yes! <laughs> Did not know. Oh my god. He performs at, like, all of her concerts. Or all of her, like... Her shows. Important shows, yeah. Huh. And he's yeah. always there. Huh. It's her and Linda... Him and Linda's daughter. Oh. Didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know he had any children. He has a couple. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, I'm very disinterested yes, in Paul. Seriously. I don't know a damn thing about him. I know, you know, John Lennon was killed. So yeah. I know that. That's true. <laughs> when um, my brother and my mom went to New York City for, um, like, the music department trip in Marshall's High School, my mom texted me, like, we saw the hotel where John Lennon lived and, like, near where he was killed. I was like, is that, like, your most defining site of attraction like in New York City like is that that's like the notable thing you saw there we saw where John Lennon was shot it's like did you see like the Empire State Building or Brooklyn Bridge nope Statue of Liberty nope the hotel that John Lennon was shot at all right it's like let me see where your priorities lie (laughs) I mean fair so now that we're talking about classic rock and uh, Charles Manson's recording desires, is it my do you turn? want to talk about Dennis Wilson? My boyfriend, Dennis Wilson. <laughs> okay. So let me just say, so last week we, like, briefly talked about how the Beach Boys were, you know, somehow associated with Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. And since then I've done quite a bit of research. And okay. to be clear, like, it was only Dennis Wilson. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was interested in Charles Manson. Um, and let me just say, Dennis Wilson is by far the hottest Beach Boy. <laughs> like, by far. Like, the Beach Boy is, you for know. For everyone who's wondering, he looks like Eli Manning. For anyone who's wondering, he is, like, perfect. <laughs> um, so I've been, like, pretty obsessed with that. I was walked in on at work Google searching the Beach Boys. And, sure. Um, my coworker was like, uh, what, what you doing? I'm like. None of your concern. Please, please mind your (laughs) business. Go away. I was looking for a photo that I could face and hold myself into. um, As you do. Which is important. (laughs) Dawn. But so, um, a couple of, like, fun facts about him. He was the only surfer in the Beach Boys, the only one of them who actually surfed. So, he was basically the only genuine one. Um. And for those of you who don't know much about the Beach Boys, um, I didn't, and which I didn't realize this, that the Beach Boys were actually um, three brothers plus a cousin. Oh, um, I thought it was just Dennis plus and a, Brian. No, so there's a third brother, Carl. Oh. And then um, Mike Love is their cousin. Okay. And then there's another guy, I think, named Al, who's a random okay. friend. Okay. Um. So Dennis was the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. Like, he was beaten the most. Like, he was definitely, like, the one who challenged authority most most in the family. Mm-hmm. But, like, a very sweet detail is that, like, I think that they all sh- three shared a room. Okay. And at night, they would, like, sing in three-part harmonies <laughs> in their room <laughs> together, which, like, sweet baby angels. What a sweet thing. I know. Okay. So then um, Charles Manson enters the scene. And so, like, how Dennis Wilson became you know, a a part of that scene is that he picked up two girls who were hitchhiking, just like, you know, a gentleman Mm -hmm. and, um, or a murderer. (laughs) Well, in the sixties, probably a gentleman. (laughs) Um, and they like 
you know, go back to his, like, really, you know, sweet house. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves and I think, like, lets them hang out or yeah, whatever. Sure. Which, I mean, you know, whatever. Um, trust. He comes back and, like, some creep, a.k.a. Charles Manson, like, mm-hmm. greets him at the door. <laughs> And is like, oh, hey, man, what's up? Like, you're the best. And, like, kisses his feet. And Dennis Wilson is like, all right. And then um, Charles Manson invites him into Dennis Wilson's own home, (laughs) which is now, like, basically swarming with Manson girls. Yeah. And I guess Dennis is like, okay, like, this is a cool. This seems fine. This is fine. Um, I mean, anyway, he doesn't seem to That's like a Manson M.O., is like I, it, it makes me anxious that these people feel like that they can just like invite themselves into situations <laughs> because like that is not in any way how I am or was raised. It's rude. It's very rude. And they're just like, yeah, we'll just be here now. I'm just like, no, 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 no. Um. So they basically move in there and are they living do. in his house. And, and Dennis Wilson estimates it cost him a hundred thousand dollars. Seriously. Okay, so they um, steal his clothes. Sure. So, like, the women, I think, are also just, like, wearing his, like, well, striped it's all shirts. <laughs> right. You know, communal. Okay. Crash his car. Clem, yes. I think, crashes his car, like, Trying off to go a to cliff. Spawn Ranch. Which, like, great. As you do. Um, he has to pay Sadie's dental bills somehow. Yeah. And then he has to pay for the whole group to go to a clinic to get treated for gonorrhea. Yeah. Several times. Yeah. So, yeah, so it ends up costing him $100,000, and so... I'm sure they also trashed his house. Well, actually, oh, he sure. says that the girls, like, cleaned and cooked, and so he's like, it really wasn't too bad. I guess, but, I mean, it's just, like, you know that it's just, like, orgies and yeah. gross. I like that he was just, like, the Manson mom, though. He's like, all right, everybody, like, into the car. Like, we've got to go get our gonorrhea shots. I know. Like, he easily could have been like, please get out of my house with your diseases. So the rest of the sensible Beach Boys <laughs> describe Manson as the scruffy little guru, yes. which, like, I Perfect. loved. <laughs> um, so basically um, the big thing that's, like, important to the story is that he introduces Charles Manson to um, Terry Melcher, is mm-hmm. that his name, um, who is, like, one of the main reasons that the Cielo Drive house is targeted in the first yeah. place. Doris Day's son. Fun fact. Yes. And um, the original person who was living in the Cielo Drive house mm-hmm. at that time. Um, so then Dennis, I think, becomes a little bit disenchanted with the whole thing mm-hmm. after he's lost so much money from this. And he, like, instead of, like, you know, confronting Charles Manson and kicking him out, he essentially moves out of the house himself and then, like, has somebody else evict him. <laughs> so, uh, which, I mean... This is the coward's way Probably out, that's smart. Fair. It's probably smart. Um, he was, like, basically tricked into letting them live there, so it's probably a good move just to be like, we'll have somebody else kick them out, because I clearly can't do it. Right. So then, um, unfortunately, like, after, like, as the trial starts, Dennis Wilson starts getting death threats from Charles Manson. Yeah. Um... And like, which like very grateful for all the gonorrhea shots. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> which like I don't know why because Dennis Wilson like doesn't really have much to say that could incriminate him. No. Like except that he's a squatter and, and a robber <laughs> and a scruffy little guru. Right. Um. But so okay. So here's the thing. Vincent Bugliosi's account is different than Wikipedia's account um, of the death threats. I don't know who to believe. I would like to believe Wikipedia. Okay. So. 
what were the sources for Wikipedia? Did I, you check? No. no. Are, are Who you does? kidding me? No. Who has time? Um, so, I mean, they, they don't, like, contradict each other, but, mm. like, Vincent did not include this in his book, which he should have because it's a fun fact. <laughs> so, um, basically, I think, like, the general threat is that, like, Charles Manson gives a bullet to Dennis Wilson. Oh, and, that's in the book. Yeah. Oh, no, okay, yeah, that's, that's in the book. Um, and basically, like, threatens his children. Which, okay. Yeah, which, horrible. And on Wikipedia, in the book, like, Dennis Wilson is just, like, very frightened and, like, goes into hiding, essentially. Mm-hmm. And on Wikipedia, he beats the shit out of Charlie. I thought Charles Manson was already in jail. When no, this is... the bullet. So there are two bullets. Two times of the bullets. Oh. So I think before he was in jail, maybe this was just, like, because of the kicking him out of the house thing. Oh, maybe. Okay. But anyway. Oh, I think you're right. Um, so he, like, gives the bullet to him in person and hands it to him. And then um, Dennis Wilson beats the shit out of Charles Manson, <laughs> which, like, I would love. That Yeah, that's a dream. That is a dream. Um, but then there's, like, another bullet that is given to somebody else to give to Dennis Wilson and they were like he was already freaked out enough I did not pass it on <laughs> so anyway he already had the he already knew the score yeah um so then Dennis starts spiraling he gets pretty into heroin um I don't know uh which like the pictures that you've seen on our Instagram are of like early days Dennis like he starts looking real weathered real quick mm-hmm. um there, I mean, there's, like, a lot of, like, boring stuff about, like, him having arguments with the Beach Boys and, like, having his own solo career. Like, don't really care about that. I did listen to his solo album today. It was pretty good. <laughs> um, oh, wait, no, I forgot. I forgot a key part. I think this is this is why he was threatened. Mm-hmm. So, Charles Manson writes this song called Cease to Exist. And... Um, Dennis Wilson basically, like, gives it to the Beach Boys, and they rename it Never Learn Not to Love, and they record it and put it on their album on the B-side, and they do not credit Manson at all, and they say it's written by Dennis Wilson. And I think that that is why Charles Manson initially threatened him. Um, But um, let's just say, this is the creepiest song I've ever heard. I listened to it about 35 times today at work. Um, So this is, like, the first lyric of the song. It says... It's called, it says, um, cease to exist, come and say you love me, give up your world, and come and be with me. Which, like, seems to be a little bit similar to, like, the message he gives the girls. Yeah. Um, And frankly, like, it's, like, very upbeat. You guys should listen to it if you have the chance. It's called Never Learn Not to Love. Um, But it's, like, a very upbeat, happy Beach Boys tune with a very dark message. Um. (laughs) Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, um, he's spiraling into heroin, he's drunk all the time, um, basically how he dies is, like, he gets, like, really drunk and is, like, hanging out by a boat, I'm pretty sure he's homeless at this point, and, like, he dropped, like, some stuff in the water a couple of weeks ago, which he goes down to dive to get, and he drowns, and, like, the coroner thinks that he basically blacked out while he was underwater and um, drowned. Um, the, um, this is, like, another, like, the the last fun fact that we have to talk about Dennis Wilson, which, like, I could talk about him forever, but, <laughs> um, 
So he wanted a burial at sea, and sure. like he, but he did not want to be cremated, okay. or his his brothers did not want him to be cremated. Oh. And so the thing about burials at sea is like the only way you're able to like basically like have your body in a coffin like dumped in the water is if you're like a member of the navy or the coast guard. And Dennis Wilson was not. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, but but he was a Beach Boy surfer dude, so and so Ronald Reagan got involved <laughs> and made it happen. <laughs> so he no. W- <laughs> so don't worry, everyone. Dennis Wilson was buried at sea. He was not cremated. He was dumped in the water in a coffin. Thank you, Ronnie. So anyway, that's Good. that with is, all the guns that the LAPD threw in there. I know. I know. <laughs> God, I need Martha Macon. <laughs> stop texting us. No, don't. Don't stop. No, don't stop. De- definitely don't. But this computer, don't make that loud noise. Yeah, I, I turned the volume down. I hope that affects nothing about our recording. <laughs> but um, I think it'll just affect how loud it is when it plays back. No, it won't. What? Because it no. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So anyway, so that's that's mostly what I had to say about Dennis Wilson. Um, I will say like. Never had much of a crush like this before. Like these, like I really, I really like him. Um, he like really has a lot of elements um, that I like, like you know, being a lost soul and a black mm-hmm. sheep, mm-hmm. but also like looking like an all-American boy and singing Ooh. like a tenor in tight harmonies with your brothers. Like <laughs> anyway, very sad. Um, R.I.P. Dennis Wilson. That is sad. Um, he died when he was 39, but he looked oh. about 55. Oh. So. Um, but, you know, at least he got buried at sea. He got buried at sea, which is what he wanted. Not cremated. Other, actually, last, um, I don't know that I want to end it on this note, but um, the woman he married, which, like, I left out all the personal life stuff because I didn't want to mention that he had married somebody else besides me. <laughs> um, <laughs> he had married uh, Mike Love, who was his band member's daughter. No. So, and which Mike Love was his cousin. So, like, it's just, like, a little bit Dennis. gross. <laughs> Is that who he had children with? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like um, in Twilight that Jacob imprints on Bella's daughter. Except if, if Bella were his cousin. Yeah. So worse. <laughs> so <laughs> worse. Um, but, yeah, so didn't like that part of it. But she was also the one who insisted upon him being buried at sea. So, sure. anyway. She was in his corner. Yeah. And I think Brendan will be happy that I don't have to research this so much um, <laughs> by watching a lot of Beach Boys videos in our room. He came in last night and was like, ugh, like, stop. <laughs> like, I can't listen to another Beach Boys song again. I mean, you've got you've to gotta give in to the obsession when it comes around. So. Is what I've learned. Okay. But also, too, like. Brendan seems to think that, like, because we're married, I'm not allowed to have crushes anymore. And oh, I'm like, no, 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 think no. again, Brendan. Like, I will have him forever. And I, like, tried to, like, basically, like, bully him into having a crush himself. And he, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what about uh, Scully in X-Files? He's like, no. I'm like, what about, like, I don't know. I guess we, like, just don't, like, watch a lot of shows with women who are his type. But I also think that women are, in general, taught to have, like, more of, like, like, I think there's, like, more of a whimsical nature to women's, like... Crushes? Yeah, because, like, it's... Like, a crush is is a crush. Like, it's yeah. not, like... It's not, like, a, a dangerous, like, necessarily, like, oh, yeah, like, I want to, like, 
fuck that person. No. You know, it's like it's yeah, it's like a sweeter element. Whereas I don't think men are taught to like appreciate like have a crush on a wom- a woman versus like without it like being necessarily sexual. So like the closest we got was Marjorie from Game of Thrones and he's like but only because she kind of looks like you. And I'm like, "Okay. Cheating. All right. <laughs> like all right, Jesus." Yeah. But um <laughs> anyway, St. Brendan over there. Um, But he, like, he basically says, like, you have so many tiny crushes that your heart's going to have no more room for me. It's not, it's not the heart, like, it's a different part of the heart. It's a different heart altogether that houses the crushes. Yeah. Also, like, crushes are fun. Yeah. They don't mean anything. No. And it's not like Dennis Wilson's going to come back and try to steal me. He's dead. He's He's buried at sea. And he's also much older than me. Right. So, so it was never going to happen for us. Don't have to be jealous. God only knows what. <laughs> I probably can't even sing that much. <laughs> iTunes is going to take us down. <laughs> Copyright infringement. I know. Oh, God. Oh, man. Well, I have an I survived story from this book. From this book? Yeah. Lots of Papa. Oh, yeah, lots of Papa. Lots of Papa lives. And for those of you who don't, I literally shouted in my room um, because I'd forgotten about lots of Papa, another fantastic name. Yeah. Um, so basically, in the beginning of the book, we learn, like when we're learning from Danny DiCarlo and Al Springer, that Manson has committed several murders. Yeah. Basically, Tex Watson stiffs this African-American man on he's like a, a whole drug dealer, bunch right? of weed. Yeah, yeah, he's a drug dealer. And so, like, it's like $10,000 that Tex does not pay That is him. a lot of yeah. drugs. It's a lot of grass, as they say oh in my the God. 60s. Yuck. So Ugh. this guy, not wanting to be stiffed out of $10,000, tells Charles Manson, I'm going to get the Black Panthers to come down there. He says he's a Black Panther, and he's going to get the Black Panthers to come down to Spawn Ranch and kill everyone there. So Charles Manson, not to be fucked with, goes to this man's house, who we learn is lots of papa, and Wait, but does Lots of Papa him. actually say that? Or I think yes. that Charles I thought Charles Manson just made that shit up. No, so Lots of Papa says this to threaten him. Okay. But since Charles Manson's a racist and also like in general trying to pin things on the Black Panthers all the time. Right. Um, believes him and is like, I can't have him like coming here with the Black Panthers to kill everyone. Right. So he goes to Lots of Papa's house and shoots him and he thinks he dies. But he doesn't. Nuh uh. Lots of Papa lays on the ground, shot waits for um waits like for Charles to leave yep and then calls friends to have them call the ambulance so then they split cuz it's like drug deals and stuff and nobody wants to be caught and things like that right i don't think they have those laws yet like good samaritan laws no, no they don't probably not <laughs> um lots of papa goes to the hospital um he lives he survives he has a bullet lodged in his spine and then they find out, like, Vincent Bugliosi finds this out, and he wants Lots of Papa then to get a surgery to get the bullet removed, which is apparently very risky. It's very risky, and, like, also, it's been in his body for so long that it's very likely that it's, like, dissolved all the useful things anyway. Because right. basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to match that bullet to the twenty two caliber pistol right. that was used at the Tate murders, which would link Charlie to that bullet and right. whatever. 
Which, like, also, like, it's very possible that it was a different 22. I mean, like, it would be great if it was, but it's also, yeah. like, a lot of risk for Lots of Papa to go under that surgery right. if it's, like, really might not mean anything. Right. And Lots of Papa doesn't do the surgery because he's become proud and attached to the bullet that's in his body. I love Lots of Papa. So, like, you go Lots of Papa. I hope he lived a long time after that. I know. I wonder what he's up to. I just like that he was like, no, I'm very proud of my bullet. <laughs> Good for you. I don't care if it'll don't help let, your investigation. Don't let pushy Vincent Bugliosi boss you around. Right, lots no. Of Papa. Not one bit. I also would like to give a shout out to, what's her name, Diane Lake, who left the Manson family, got out of there, and she was like, I'm getting straight A's now, and I've realized how good life can be not in the family. I was like, oh, oh. Diane. I know. I think she's the one. So I was at a bookstore, a used bookstore over the weekend, and honestly, the first book that caught my eye was a book about Charles Manson because it was, like, one of the family. I was like, I bet that's a Manson book. And I picked it up. And I think it's Diane Lake's account of, like, testifying against him, which I'm interested. I'm interested, too. So I think next week it's going to be all about the trial. Yeah. All about all their little shenanigans. So far, they've X'd their heads. Everybody, I think. Are they, no, aren't they swastikas yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. They also haven't shaved their heads yet. Yeah. Well, um, I saw I, spoilers from the pictures that yeah. were in the and middle of the book. More shenanigans. Very fun. Yeah. Um, people in the courtroom have, like, stood up and yelled things, which is fun. Yeah. I mean, they are an unruly bunch. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at one point, I think um, when Linda's testifying, and I'm just speculating, I feel like I remember hearing that, like, Charlie just sat there, like, just running his finger over his neck over and over again, like, while she was talking, like, basically to be like, I'm going to fucking kill you. She is very lucky she did not get killed. She's in witness protection. Still? Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Here, so, okay, witness protection seems like it blows, though. Yeah, because you, I mean, based on what I know about it from the Mary-Kate and Ashley movie where they had to move to uh, Australia. Yep. Seems hard. Well, you have you, to get a new name. You have to get a new name. You have to, you cannot keep any of the t- connections from your old life. No. Like, no one can know where you are. Mm-mm. Does she get to still really see her sucks. son, Angel? Who knows? Well, I think, no, no, no. You can take your kid with oh, you. Oh, sure. But, I like. I just wanted to highlight that you, she you, named her son Angel. Yeah. I was like, I was really on your side, Linda, and then you did that. Tanya and Angel, I think, would get to stick with her. But, <laughs> like, she would not be able to talk to her parents. Mm-hmm. She would not. Anyway. She seems like a really sucky, sucky thing to have to go through. Yeah. But. But necessary. No, I mean, totally. I mean, it's totally, it's a crave program. <laughs> Paul know. Watkins, meanwhile, was like pulled out of a burning car. I know. <laughs> I like, and oh, he, no. And he doesn't know what, he, like, he's like, oh, I must have just fallen asleep with a cigarette. It's guarantee like, Squeaky set that, f- those flames. <laughs> guarantee that that was, you know. Jesus Christ. Um, I just also just want to clarify that I'm not a fan of the Unabomber. Like, I, you know, I just don't want people to think that I'm, like, soft on Unabomber. <laughs> I come down hard against. I do not like what he did at all. But I think it is an important, like, you know, when you listen to My Favorite Murder and, like, you do have sympathy for some of the horrific things that have happened to, like, what's that one serial killer's name? Ed Kemper. Uh-huh. Like, he was treated like trash. Right. Was he? I mean, I'm sure he was. Yeah. I don't remember specifically. I mean, a lot of them, like, generally, like, all of the killers that I've heard of on that show have been treated like absolute garbage their entire lives. And that doesn't excuse what they've done at all, but it also, like, lends us to understand that there's, like, there's 
there's like implications in society that maybe we can do better to protect children so that they don't end up becoming killers. Right. Well, and I think too, like with um, the way that they set up the Unabomber, they make it seem like he is like really, like the one thing that he really wants is love, but it's like really the one thing that he can't like, he can't have it somehow. Mm -hmm. And so like you feel bad for him, but like I don't really know that that's how it was. Like, I like I just think it's a dramatization, and, like, they've given him more, like, they've set him up as somebody that you want to feel compassion for, mm-hmm. when I don't think that... I also think that it's in the general nature of people to want to feel compassion for other people, and... Yeah. Well, and which is, like, what makes us not sociopaths. Right. So... That's that's what you guys should get out of this is that I am not a sociopath. Neither am um, I. And we are not soft on crime. No. We are hard on it. Hard. Um, yeah, we're all about very long life sentences. For murderers, not for drug people. Definitely not drug people. They can get out in a reasonable amount of time. Rapists still, we want in a very long time. Child molesters forever. Forever. Where do you land on the death penalty? I shift back and forth. Okay, me too. It's like, I know it feels good, but also, like, because there's a potential, like, we have executed people that we've later found to be innocent. Like, I think that that's obviously a huge problem. Yeah. Well, and I think... Have you read In Cold Blood? Yes. Okay. So, like, that book was what changed my mind about it. Like, mm-hmm. I had a, I had initially been pro-death penalty, and after I read that book, I was anti-death penalty because okay. I felt a lot of compassion for Perry. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's worse, especially if, like, people have known know what they did and can understand what they did, I think it's worse to have to live with the fact that you did that. Right. Well, I don't... I guess I guess my thing, too, is, like, the, the times that I like the death penalty in TV shows is, like, when you have the geniuses who will break out and do it again. Yeah. But it's, like, if they could... If I'm guaranteed that they're going to sit there forever. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Like, yeah. and that's probably worse. It's also more expensive to kill people than it is to just keep them in jail forever. And I feel like so many people make the it's argument... It's cheaper to kill them? I've just it's heard... It's more expensive. It's more expensive to kill them. It's way more expensive. Because of the appeals process? Because of the appeals process and also because of, like, the standards in which, like, like those facilities have to be kept. Like, and to get, like, the chemicals. Like, the death and, chamber or what? Yeah, and the chemicals and stuff like that. It's, like, significantly more expensive. I thought it only cost, like, 60 grand to put somebody down. I don't think so. I think it's... I've heard it argued, like, because I've heard people make the argument of, like, why should my tax dollars go to, like, make this, like, guy's life, like, kind of cushy in jail right. um, when he should be dead because that's, like, what he did to other people. But I've also read statistics that it's, like, very expensive, to have death penalty programs. Like I've, like I've heard upkeep. it. I've heard it both ways. So like, I really don't know, like on the <laughs> on the economic side. But like, I, I don't know. I also don't know that, that like that's like what I want to base my no opinion on either. Well, and it's also like, I mean, I think like it feels good in the moment to be like, yeah, and like this motherfucker's like getting put to death. But I think like we're supposed to be better than that. You know what I mean? Like right. we're supposed to be better than the killer. Right. Well, I don't know. It, it's like, but I get it at the same time. Like why why people like it. So it's like, yeah. Well, and I think it's sort of it's like with people like 
who express no remorse and like are like really like like Scott Peterson's like those kind of people who are like getting love letters in jail every damn day. It's like mm-hmm. please put him down because <laughs> like I don't want him to continue to enjoy this like celebrity that he has cultivated, yeah. which is like I think also a little bit how I feel about Charles Manson too, where like. Have you read about how um, Charles Manson's, like, remains and, like, he, like, has an estate because of, like, all the shit that he sold in jail? Jesus. So, like, people are, like, fighting over it. Like, he, like, has a son who's claiming it. He has, like, a pen pal who's claiming it. Yeah. Well, only one son, I think, has, like, been, like, I would like to, like, claim the body and his, like, stuff. Jesus. But, like, it turns out that, like, he's, he's worth more money than you would think. Like, you would think he has nothing, but no, like, he's been selling, like, murderabilia, basically. <sighs> so Great. he has, like... Well, like, in the case of Charles Manson, it's, like, I could really understand an argument for the death penalty, but I feel like it's almost, like, a worse punishment to make the girls stay in jail forever. Because it's, like, they have to, like, come out of that, like, Mansonist life and live with what they've done to people. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if I were a convicted killer, I would rather have the death penalty. I would rather die than sit there forever. Yeah. Yeah. Although, like, I mean, I I think it also depends, like, you know, if are you in solitary confinement, then, like, absolutely kill me. But it's, like, if you're, like, in living the orange is the new black life where you, like, have friends and, like, you know, enjoy some kind of time. Yeah. But. It's complicated. Which is not to say that Orange is the New Black does not portray horrible things about prison, (laughs) by the way. It's horrible. But I'm just saying that, like, those women's lives are still worth living. Mm -hmm. So, anyway. All right. Well, I think that about does it. We'll finish up um, Helter Skelter next week. Yep. And, yeah. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Let us know. How you're feeling on Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye.